So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space in West Limit 102. My name is John Keeley. Thank you again for joining me this morning. And it's the 12th of August. It's the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And help me produce the programme and present the programme again, uh, all the way somewhere out there in Skyplant. Shane Ambrose, good morning to you, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. How are we doing today? We're good. We're good. We can't complain. Thank you very much indeed, considering it's the 12th of August. Really going through the year now. But anyway, uh, this is a programme where we are delighted to welcome again uh, those listeners who listen to us each week, uh, both in the mornings and a very popular time, I believe, to, to, to listen to our programme is, is Sunday evenings. Um, especially those people who are sick and those people who are lonely and those people who maybe don't have any families around them this this time of the year, especially this time of the, of the world meeting the families. Those people who might be lonely, as I said, and those people maybe suffering with a little bit of health problems, maybe looking forward to or maybe waiting for the results of tests, not too sure. You're welcome, and indeed you are part of our family, as we always say here in Sacred Space. So thanks again for joining us, and most of all, thank you for your prayers. Um, Sacred Space, as people know at this stage, is uh, is broadcast each Sunday morning on West Limit 102 local radio at 10 a.m. and repeated again at 11 p.m. Sunday night. And a podcast is available on our blog. A podcast, of course, is just really an available... Um, what should we say, how should I explain a podcast? It's actually a recording of the program. Um, it is available on our blog, on our website, which is www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. And Shane has arranged also for it to be made available on iTunes by searching Come and See Inspirations. And if you want to contact the program, uh, contact Shane and myself in terms of a question or a comment or some ideas to develop the program, as we've often said here in the program, we're welcome, we're, we're open to ideas. Uh, you can contact us by maybe text, might be easier and locally, and that's an 87 That's 87 Or you can contact us by email, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. sacredspace102 at gmail.com. And again, we want to thank those people, especially those people who, who encourage us to stay with the program. Uh, they specifically, Shane, I've had a few comments of people in more recent times, um, really commenting on your um, your presentation of the Saints for the week. They're fascinated by where you get all the information and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I'm sure you're going to continue that this week for the ninth thing. Let's see what you got this week, Shane. Okay, now talk about preparing a man for a fall. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. okay. So, as you said, John, today is the 12th of August. So, it's the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week three. Um, so, saints for the week. So, um, I was looking at today's order and I was kind of going... There's a lot of saints that don't get celebrated this year uh, because the 12th of August falls on a Sunday. But anyway, the 13th of August is... Um, now, it's an interesting one. There's a couple of um, heavy heaters there, like St. Ponstian, who was a pope in 231, and St. Hypolitus, who was a writer and teacher. But you know what? I decided to skip all of them. And I've moved down to a guy called Blessed Con O'Rourke. And the reason I picked Conor Rourke is the fact that he's one of the Irish martyrs. So we celebrated the collective feast day of the Irish martyrs on the 20th of June. But Conor Rourke was a Franciscan. He was a Franciscan friar and a priest. 
And he was based at the monastery of Breffney, which is kind of Cavan, I think, side of the world, Leitrim Cavan side of the world. And he was he was arrested under the persecutions of Elizabeth I. And he was ordered to swear loyalty to her as the head of the church, which he refused to do. And because he did that, he was martyred. But the, what, the interesting part was he was martyred in Kilmallock. So that's where we have the Limerick connection. And he was hanged in Kilmallock on the 31st of August in 1579. So that's the feast day of Blessed Conor Rourke that is celebrated on the 13th of August. So then on the 14th of August, we have a very famous saint. Uh, it's St. Maximilian Kolbe, priest or martyr. And of course, the thing that everyone associates with Maximilian Kolbe is, of course, the fact he was a martyr of Auschwitz. Uh, he was prisoner 16670. A, ma- a priest, um, Franciscan again, um, who gave his life for another prisoner in the concentration camp, controlled, of course, by the Nazis. And uh, that ha- this happened in 1941. But he had an interesting life before that. He was known as a mischievous child. He entered the Franciscan Junior Cemetery. He was Polish. Sorry, I should have said that. And he uh, he became he he became uh, he entered the Franciscans at the age of 16 took his vows in 1911, a final vows in 1914. He studied in Rome during the First World War, and then, in, interestingly enough, he returned to Poland in 1919 to teach in Krakow Seminary. And people might be thinking, why does that sound familiar? Krakow Seminary, of course, well, Krakow was the city where Karl Wojtyla, formerly uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, was archbishop. So that's where there's a connection there between the two. Um, so he left. For, he he was, did a whole load of work in terms of promotion of the faith. He set up another branch of the Franciscans, uh, dedicated under the under the patronage of Our Lady in, as the Immaculate Conception and all the rest of it. Uh, he he went to Japan for two years and then came back. And then he was arrested in 1939 following the Nazi invasion of Poland. And then they were taken to Auschwitz, and he died in August 1941 by lethal carbonic acid injection after three weeks of starvation and dehydration. And it was interesting, at he, he was declared a martyr of charity. There was difficulty, um, the, 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 rules of the, the rules for martyrdom, you have to, you know, you, they, they were that you had to be killed in odium fides, you had to be killed for, for hatred of the faith. And John Paul II um, put in a new character, or a new character, or a new classification of martyr, which was the martyrs of charity. And he gave up his life um, for for another. And as far as I'm aware, the man whose the life that he he gave, um, who was Francis uh, Gajewski, um, he actually attended. Uh, I think it was either the beatification or the canonization mass of Maximilian Kolbe. So that's what we celebrate on the 14th. Obviously, of course, then the 15th is the Assumption. And, of course, uh, in my own home parish, it's our patron day down in Barragone Well. Mm-hmm. So for everyone that will be going to the well for the Mass on the 15th, you might say a prayer for us. And, of course, the Assumption of Mary deals with her bodily assumption into heaven, declared dogma by Pius XII in 1950. But Pius didn't bring this kind of up off the top of his head. Now, it was an exercise in paper infallibility, but Pius was actually working on... Uh, the long-held teaching of the church, and he was just codifying it and publicizing it and setting it out uh, clearly. It's an interesting one. It's a feast day that we celebrate with uh, our brethren in the Orthodox Church. The Eastern, the Orthodox Churches celebrate the Dormition of Mary, uh, the falling asleep of Mary, uh, whereas we, we call it the Assumption. It's, um, for Catholics, it's a requirement. It's a dogma. We're asked to believe it. 
to accept it in faith, that Mary at the end of her earthly life was assumed into heaven, body and soul, and that it is a precursor and a promise for us that are following in the path of Christianity. She has gone and hopefully we will follow. Now, John, just an interesting thing about the assumption. Uh, the church doesn't actually take a position as to whether or not Mary died. This is kind of one of those questions. We're not quite sure uh, whether or not she died. The church doesn't say yay or nay. Uh, but what they say is she didn't suffer the decay of the grave uh, because she was the mother of God. And of course, the assumption is one of the most depicted pieces of religious art in the world. And uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting one. Um, it causes a, little bit, a few problems with our brethren, particularly in the Orthodox Church. They don't like the fact that it was declared using papal infallibility. The leaders of the Protestant churches don't particularly like it because it's not guaranteed by Scripture. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting one um, that's out there. Then on the 16th, John, moving on, we have the feast day of St. Stephen of Hungary. Now, Stephen of Hungary, interesting chap. Uh, not quite sure how, I put it, how I'd put it anyway. So he was born to a pagan family, but he was baptized at the age of 10 with his father. Their family were the first king of the Magyars in Hungary. So the, the first kind of kingdom of Hungary, if you like. And to this day, Stephen is celebrated as kind of a founding, his feast day is celebrated as a kind of a, a founding day of the, of the country of Hungary. Um, it was an interesting one. He suppressed volts, revolts and he was crowned king on Christmas Day in 1001 uh, by the authority of Pope Sylvester II. Now, he's an interesting guy because there's a couple of things about him. In terms of uh, history, um, the crown, you had to be crowned king of Hungary by the crown of St. Stephen. Otherwise, you weren't actually the king. And uh, to this day, uh, it's the, it, the, 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 the kingdom or the, the crown still exists and is a source of authority. But what's even more interesting is what's called Stephen's Holy Dexter. Now, you'll be going to me, what's his Holy Dexter? It's his right hand. And it is still very much venerated as a relic today in, um, in, in, in Hungary. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole history of the relic, but an annual procession celebrating the relic was instituted in 1938 and was resumed in 1988 after the fall of communism. And it is kept in Buda Castle, which is in Budapest, obviously enough, at said Sigmund's Chapel. Um, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, no. It's in St. Stephen's Basilica in Budapest, I beg your pardon. Uh, so that's who we celebrate on the 16th, is St. Stephen of Hungary. He died in 1038. Then, of course, from an Irish perspective, the 17th of August is a biggie because it is the feast day of Our Lady of Knock. Now, this follows on the, the reform or the changes to the Irish calendar that were made a number of years ago because, of course, most people will be aware that the apparition of Our Lady of Knock took place on either the 21st or the 22nd. But the feast day is celebrated on the 17th so that it doesn't clash with the Queenship of Mary. Uh, so, of course, that will be the week, as this will be the week, rather, of the, the National Novena, uh, the National Novena in Knock to Our Lady of Knock. And, uh, of course, it's also part of the preparations for the World Meeting of Families. And, of course, Knock is going to have a very important visitor on the 26th, the morning of the 26th of, of August. Then on Saturday... Finally, we have the feast day of, uh, just give me one second now, John, I've lost my page. We have the feast day of St. Ronan of Iona. Yeah, the 18th of August. All we know about him is he was a monk at Iona Abbey, was involved in the controversy with St. Finian concerning the celebration of Easter, and he's recognized as a confessor of the faith. 
So that's who we have, John, in terms of the Celestial Guides this week. Have you any weird and wonderful questions? Tell you, you didn't leave us down now, Shane. Um, no, I'll let you off this week now. You're doing okay. Uh, you're you're I, might, I might think of something later on. But in the yeah. meantime, I might, I might just remind listeners just of a few things. Uh, first of all, um, the Dominican Church in Limerick there, St. Saviour's, will be hosting the relics of St. Therese of Lisieux and of her parents, St. Louis and Zelie Martin, on Saturday next, the 18th of August, beginning with 1pm Mass. Blessing of the Roses, veneration of relics and reflections by the Dominicans will follow, with some Vespers concluding the event at 5pm. So that's in St. Saviour's Church, the Dominican Church, next Saturday, beginning with 1pm Mass, concluding with Sung Vespers at 5pm. People might, uh, listeners might remember a few weeks ago we uh, we had um, Father Eamon Fitzgibbon on to talk to us about um, a conference that's coming up um, on the 28th of August and 29th of August in St. Patrick's Campus in Thurlis. It's organised by the Irish Institute for Pastoral Studies. And the conference is entitled The Future of the Irish Church. People might be interested... Excuse me, yeah, the fu- the future of the Irish parish. Mm. That's right, the future of the Irish parish. The future of the Irish parish uh, is a pastoral conference. That's taking place, as I said, from the 28th and 29th of August. Uh, the cost is 100 euros. If you're interested at all, uh, phone number 0504-20590. That's 0504-20590. Or you can email iips at mic.ul.ie. Might be very interesting for those people who are certainly interested maybe in parish liturgy, maybe parish life, maybe the future, but certainly for the future of our parish. Again, 28th, 29th of August. And just finally there, I just want to mention just a few things that might be on EWTN that might be um, of interest to some listeners. Uh, Families share their personal stories and anecdotes testifying to the power of the rosary. And that's on uh, today, uh, 9, 9.30 on, on EWTN. That's this evening, uh, 9.30 for one and a half hours, actually, the power in my hands. Families share their personal stories and anecdotes testifying to the power of the rosary. And one final one, Fatima and the Popes. This is on Saturday next uh, at nine o'clock for an hour. A historical look at the connections between the apparitions of the Blessed Mother in Fatima and the Popes, beginning with Pope Benedict the Fifteenth uh, to Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. So now we go for before we go for our first piece of music. Uh, there's a spiritual communion prayer that we'd like to pray for those of our listeners who cannot receive Jesus at Mass this morning. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So for our first bit of music um, this morning, I picked a piece of music that I actually recorded from the Medjugorje Youth Festival. I, I was able to tap into it via the internet there last week. A wonderful five-day event, 40,000-plus young people enjoying their faith, sharing their faith, and uh, beautiful music there. And one of them was a, a, a piece of um, instrumental music by the Medjugorje uh, choir there, actually. I think there was twenty. There were, there were 29 members, or, or the, 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 the choir was made up of 29 members from 29 nations. Uh, this one actually is entitled Ave Maria. 
So listen to the mess. Sacred Space. So, welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley, still giant, and the Skype line by Shane Ambrose. And we want to welcome onto the program this morning, all the way from Nashville in Tennessee, Sister Beatrice Cutter. Good morning or good evening to you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Neil, for joining us. Of course, Sister Beatrice has agreed to join us. And this is all really in relation to the visits of the relics of St. Therese of Lisieux and her parents, St. Louis and Zelie Martin, next Saturday, the 18th of August, beginning with 1 p.m. Mass in St. Saviour's Church. 
a blessing of the roses, veneration of the relics, and reflections by the Dominicans will follow, with some vespers concluding the event at 5pm. And Sister Beatrice has very kindly uh, joined us there this morning, really to, to help us to reflect maybe a bit maybe on St. Therese and her life and so on and so forth. So where, where would you like to start, Sister, uh, Sister Beatrice, in regards to St. Therese? Um, I think with regards to St. Therese herself, I think it's the the story that we might all think that we're familiar with, but as with so many of the saints at different points in our own lives, we intersect differently with that of the saint. So St. Therese's story is often portrayed as the story of a soul, the story of spiritual childhood, the story of someone who learns to accept the beauty of her own individuality, the fact that God wants to do great things with small instruments and that there's really nothing outside of his plan, that he is a a loving father rather than a stern judge, and that his justice and mercy come together very beautifully. And for St. Therese herself, I think that that journey was so beautifully launched in a new way on that Christmas night when the rather sweet story is told of um, when she's going upstairs after Christmas Mass and she overhears her father saying he hopes it will be the last Christmas that they'll have to have the little custom of uh, her opening the Christmas presents that she's going to go downstairs and find in her shoes. That Hasn't she outgrown this yet? And what I think is so beautiful about that is that her sensitivity is shown. She's not ashamed to say that that hurt her, that it was something that in that moment was difficult to accept, but that the grace was there and that we need the difficulty to highlight the power of grace. I think what I love so much about that incident is she says it's the beginning of her spiritual maturity, where she comes into her own and realizes that her sensitivity, um, her her ability to feel hurts, to be crossed, to be experiencing resistance from others, to experience misunderstanding, that doesn't define her, that in that moment God pours out out a particular grace for that moment and that it's up to her to look to him with the same trust that she would ordinarily give to her father so that on that night she's able to go back downstairs and to enter into the joy that that moment would normally hold for her not in a way where she's faking oh isn't this wonderful but to experience god is calling me to a deeper joy than i ever ever would have had in this moment before because now i found that i am free in a new way so St. Therese herself leading such a short life, I think, as we all know, dying at only 24 from such a painful condition of tuberculosis, suffered for several years, and having experienced many sufferings in such a short life with her mother's death, um, with many of her sisters being separated from her as they discern their own vocations, um, with her father's mental illness um, incurred probably through stroke is what doctors seem to suggest, and his uh, convalescence and his acceptance of his suffering still causing such a, a great sorrow for her, that in that life, the final message that she leaves is that love and grace have the final word. I think that that's such a powerful message at any time period. But if I might just share for myself, I think that when we see that love and grace come at a particular come in a particular form for each of us and that there is no one model of what sainthood looks like within that one family i think seeing that for saint Therese herself for her parents each one of them as an individual soul 
as we look at them and see, oh, that's a family of saints. There's something so striking about that because in our own families, we experience differences. <laughs> With St. Therese and her parents, both of her parents experienced a certain degree of uncertainty finding their own vocations. And I think that St. Therese herself, growing up in a family where her parents had had to listen so attentively for the voice of God, for what he was calling them to, gave her a very great delicacy in listening to what God desired. And I think for some of us at this point, perhaps either in the history of the particular place where we are living, in a particular situation in our family, that delicacy is something to really desire because God desires to give that that heightened sensitivity to his voice because it's in that heightened sensitivity that we become all the more aware of how precise his gifts are and how much he desires that each one of us become fully ourselves. The same way good parents don't want each child to be a carbon copy one after the other. I wish you were more like your older sister, more like your older brother. We can have experienced maybe what that was like and know we wish that was not so. We wish that was not the message we had received. Why can't you be like someone else? That's not the fatherhood of God. And I think that's a beautiful message that's revealed in the life of Therese and her parents is God desires that even your weaknesses, even your sensitivities reveal who he is, that nothing is outside the scope of, of God's hand. Sister Beatrice, why would you think that um, St. Therese seems to be so popular with, with, with most Catholics, especially here in Ireland? I think that is such a fascinating question because out of all the saints, it is so surprising, and I think we have to return to this over and over again, that a 24-year-old woman who spends nine years of her life behind cloister walls is so popular. And I think there's there must be something certainly for our time period that is so valuable about her message that extraordinary love is shown to each one of us by God in our littleness and that we do not have to prove ourselves to him well, I think that with St. Therese, the idea that grace is manifest in weakness, that there is such a, a power at work in us, and St. Paul speaks so eloquently of how it's a power that can accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. And we see that lived out in St. Therese speaking of her great desires. But for some of us, it can often seem that we have to, we have to prove ourselves to God or perhaps to the God that is our, our, our own self-image or the God of others' opinions where I have to look a certain way in order to be a saint. I have to act a certain way. And certainly there are very, very, very real demands that the gospel makes on us in terms of how we should live and act and speak as temples of the Holy Spirit. But no two temples are going to look exactly the same in the Christian tradition. You know, there was the one temple... Of, of the Jews, but for Christians, each one of us being a temple of a certain kind reflects God differently. And I think that's part of what appeals to people about St. Therese is you start to pick up on this idea that he could even choose me. Mm. There's that He could even choose me. And in a time that's so focused on performance and evaluation and on, you know, how much is this liked or loved or retweeted, there's something so unconditional about what's offered in Christ, and St. Therese puts that forward so well. 
The last time Saint Teresa was at Saint Teresa of Lisieux was in Ireland, hundreds of thousands of people um, flocked to visit uh, and say hi and pray at her relics. Say hi, sorry, that's a very informal way of putting it. But for, for many no, no. people, you know, for many people, it was you know they were getting to meet you know as you said one of their one of their popular saints. So um, you know Saint Teresa and her parents are coming to visit Limerick, and you guys at the sorry you at the the, the Dominican sisters. <laughs> Um, no, you guys got, you're, going to ho- you're going to host them. <laughs> yes, having a, a family party. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of like it's if you know, if you think about it, you're you know it's you know you're 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 hosting three saints. It's like okay, where do we start with this one? Uh, <laughs> so, so when are they actually going to arrive? Well, they're going to arrive just before the one o'clock mass on Saturday, the 18th of August, mm-hmm. and then they'll be the relics will be in the church until just after five. Five o'clock when we'll conclude with sung vespers and i think it's it's just it was a shock to me when i found out that of all the places in the county of limerick we were hosting because in most other dioceses that are even being visited not all of the dioceses will receive a visit from these relics mm-hmm. it's usually a cathedral or a carmelite church mm-hmm. um, so we're not quite sure why god's hand seems to have settled <laughs> through the mm. agency of the diocese on St. Saviors, but we're very pleased, um, oh, especially okay. especially in view of the world meaning of families. Exactly, and I suppose what we should say to people is that the, the visits of the relics of St. Teresa Vizier and her parents, uh, Louis and Zélie Martin, um, it's part of the world meeting of families, and it's been organized jointly between the Order of Carmelites and the Order of Discalced Carmelites in, in Ireland. And the relics are actually going to be at the Phoenix Park uh, for the Papal Mass on the 20, uh, 26th of August. And the, uh, the, the Dominican Society, the Carmelites, uh, will be doing a, a small presentation about St. Therese and the spirituality of St. Therese before the Papal Mass begins. And it's, as you said, as you said Saint, uh, Sister, it's, it's a great honor to have them visiting Limerick. And I, 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 and I would encourage as many people as possible uh, to call in and say hi, uh, you know, they'll be blessed. Uh, you, you're going to have a blessing of roses as well. Uh, what, what exactly are the, if you like, the liturgical events or the celebrations that you're going to have? It's a very short visit. They're just literally going to, pop, you know, they're going to go there for a few hours. But even so, it's a packed, it's a packed schedule for the family. I'm afraid they're on the road. Um, but at one o'clock, we'll have uh, the sacrifice of the mass, and then following that, the blessing of the roses, and then time for veneration of the relics. And throughout that. Um, the three Dominican novices of the Irish province of the friars um, will be with us to give reflections. And what's beautiful to see is God's hand at work um, through the presence of various saints. So St. Therese has exercised such an influence on so many men studying for the priesthood. Um, Mm. And so a few of these, a few of these men will be with us to share some of their experience of her message, which I think is another interesting thing to to highlight about St. Therese, is that although her spirituality is very much that of a of a young woman, of a woman who loves to be thought of as a daughter, who might have been thought of as a little bit of a princess, um, mm. there's something really appealing for many, many people, and often for men who are called to give their lives as priests. And I think there's there's a lot there for people to consider as we mm. look at what vocation is about. That's that's an interesting point, of course, because St. Therese maintained um, a correspondence uh, during her life with a, with a young priest. 
and it's it's I, and for the life of me, his name escapes me at the moment. But it, it I've read it a couple of times, and like you said, it's very um, mothering and strong, but also you know held him to account in terms of his vocation and where he was slipping. She kind of said to him, "Well, buck up, Sonny boy. You you've got a job yes. to do." And very much. Just, you know, and of course the other thing about it is, of course, Saint Teresa is also the patron of the missions. Um, yeah. And and for that regard, she's held in high regard by many of our, our missionary congregations in Ireland as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, sister, we've come to the end of this segment of the program. Um, okay. So you had a second piece of music for us. Do you want to tell us about it? Yes, this is a piece called Amazing Grace, which is uh, traditional and sung in many settings. This particular recording was done by some Dominican brothers um, from over here in the USA and it's the the lyrics are probably known by many but I thought it would be appropriate when we've been talking about St. Therese to focus on a song that speaks of the power of God's grace at work in us uh, that can do immeasurably more than we realize that can reach into any situation that can reach into any family that can reach into any suffering so I thought this would suit very well the message that we're hoping that St. Therese and the relics of her parents will help to uncover next week. Excellent. Amazing grace, how sweet the sweet that saved a wretch like me. How once was lost, was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought, has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Secures. He will my shield, my shield and portion be, as long as thy fenders. When we've been there, when we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley. Now, unfortunately, we lost a connection there with uh, Sister Beatrice Clark, who uh, gave us a beautiful reflection there on St. Therese, and was hoping to join us for a reflection on today's Gospel. 
But what we'd like to do now at this stage is to play the piece of music that Sister Beatrice would like us to play. Again, it's from uh, the Dominican Friars. This one is entitled, What Wondrous Love Is This? So before we continue on with part three, let's say this.
And now we come to the part of the programme that's most important to us here, is where we read and reflect on the Word of God. That's the Sunday Gospel. And this Sunday, it'll be from the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And before that, Shane usually prays this prayer before reading and reflection on Scripture, which you might pray for us now. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for, st- for putting <coughs> us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often <coughs> capable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Jim. So the Gospel for today is a continuation uh, of the Gospel we, we actually read the last two weeks. Um, John chapter, chapter 6, verse 41 to 51. The Jews were complaining to each other about Jesus, because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Surely this is Jesus, son of Joseph, they said. We know his father and mother. How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus said in reply, Stop complaining to each other. No one can come to me unless he's drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God, and to hear the teaching of the Father and learn from it is to come from me. Not that anybody has seen the Father, except the one who comes from God. He has seen the Father. I tell you most solemnly, everybody who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers at Mamma in, in, in the desert, and they are dead. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that a man may eat it and not die. I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. So that's the Gospel for this week, which is the Gospel from John, chapter 6, again, verse 41 to 51. And, of course, John uh, challenges us, first of all, I suppose, to Shane, to, to try to understand the various points that he's trying to put through to us. Yeah, <laughs> I was looking at it this week, and I was kind of going, mm, where am I going to go with this one? John's Gospel is, I suppose, it, it's, it's the fourth of the four Gospels to be written. The style of writing is quite different um, in terms of the other, the synop- what we call the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's written very much more from, uh, with the, you can see the Greek influence on the writer of the Gospel in terms of how it approaches things, the language it uses, and the way that it presents it. So what we have here is a continuation of a discourse or talk or a series of talks given by Jesus on being the bread of life. And I suppose for us looking at it now, it's very kind of we can you know we have we have I suppose we can see Jesus with you know talking or giving first um, indications of you know Calvary and the Last Supper and the institution of the Eucharist. We can we can see that now, uh, but of course his listeners wouldn't necessarily have seen that. 
And I suppose what these what these gospels call us to think about and to reflect on is our own understanding of the relationship with Jesus. And that's very simple uh, analogy that's made, you know, the bread of life. You know, to have to live, you have to have two things. You need to have water and sustenance. And your bread is regarded as the staff of life. Um, you know, and the bread of life was very much Jesus kind of trying to link in, I suppose, to people's every their everyday understanding. And a couple of things to remember, I suppose, is first of all, obviously, last week, we or two weeks ago, we had the multiplication of the loaves of dishes. So Jesus was was kind of responding to their physical hunger, whereas today it's more a case of him also touching into that spiritual hunger that's in each one of us. And the idea that, you know, when we take, when we consume, when we approach the Eucharist and we consume the Eucharist, we are, I think it was St. Saint, Saint Augustine that said, become what you eat uh, or become what you take. And um, that idea that we are called to be and to mirror ourselves as the temples of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I suppose it's one of the things why there's such a difference in understanding around the Eucharist between the Catholic Church and other churches. You know, for, for, for Catholics, it's the sign of our communion with each other and with God. And it is the source and summit of that communion. Whereas for other, for other denominations, it's not quite seen that way. Uh, which can cause a lot of hurt and misunderstanding in many ways um, uh, between between the different ecclesial communities. But going back to the gospel, John, I, you know, it's 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 one I suppose that we kind of need to engage with and reflect on. Um, I have to say myself, I I'm still kind of trying to struggle with it um, and to see what way it speaks to me. This, um, you know, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. So they were the three sentences that jumped out at me. And I think, I, to be honest, one of the reasons they jumped out at me are, of course, they are, they are lyrics from that song, I Am the Bread of Life, you know, which many people will be familiar with, and many liturgical purists absolutely hate. Uh, but, you know, it's a song very much, steep, song to him steeped in, in, in scripture. And it's, what does that mean to me? I am the living bread which has come down from heaven, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. So it causes us to pause and reflect and think, what do we mean and understand by the Eucharist? You know, one of the great gifts that Pius XII brought to the Church was the fact that he encouraged more more frequent reception of the Blessed Sacrament. Um, but has it also, the flip side of that is, have we lost our reverence, our wonder and awe in terms of that which we are consuming. You know, what we truly believe is present in the Blessed Sacrament. Something for us to think about maybe on this uh, Sunday morning. Shane, thank you so much for that. Um, for myself, I, I was a lecturer at the Bain, uh, as usual, and, um, on Monday night with Father Frank Dewick in the Pastoral Centre in Newcastle West. And one of the thoughts that came up um, around that meeting there on, on Monday night was this uh, this sense of community, this sense of we're there to help ourselves. We, we, we could be Eucharist to each other, i.e. there's somebody there who might be struggling somewhere. Um, Jesus is with us. We can bring Jesus to other people. He's the bed of life. He's the food of life. And, and I thought with that uh, in mind, I took a little bit of a reflection there from... 
um, from my friend Michael Devechai. And I think this maybe sums up a little bit of what we all feel from time to time. Lord, many take it for granted that their destiny is to be inferior to others. They are convinced that they will always fail. They will never overcome their faults. They will remain forever in bondage. There are leaders who encourage this attitude, content to give people bread in the wilderness and then let them die there. Lord, send us leaders, spiritual guides like Jesus, who will give us a different kind of teaching, feeding us with another kind of bread, one that comes from you, and help us to experience that and help us to experience that we have it within ourselves to be free and creative. We are born not to die in bondage, but to live forever. I think that, that that certainly speaks a lot to me now in in terms of sometimes sometimes we take it for granted that, that that we're a little bit less inferior than others. We have Jesus in us. We have the Eucharist, and as He tells us, He's he, uh, there within the Gospel. He says, "All people will be taught by God," and that includes ourselves. I think maybe at Mass, take a bit more time to be attentive to the readings and be a bit more attentive to what the priest is praying as he prays the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass for ourselves. So at this stage, uh, we might just go for our final bit of music. Thanks, Shane, uh, for, for joining us this evening. Um, again, I'm going to pick a little piece of music. Actually, it's longer than usual, but it's one that, I, I again, I picked up from the Medjugorje Youth Festival. And this one, I think, links in very much so with today's gospel. And this one is entitled, We Are One Body. So it's next week for myself and Shane. God bless you all now. Bye. Bye. Forsaken
sacred space.